I'm Lee Madonna. My name is Josh Alvarez, and you're listening to episode 74, right? That's Good what work. we said. Yeah. That's what we said. Yeah. Uh, of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So today we have our very special guest, second time. Hey, are you the first returner? She is the first so. returner oh, that's man. not that's not on the crew. So like Evan, Sean, Carp, these people, but they're like the extended family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know what though? I think offering Sam extended family is also fair too. One hundred? No, 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 no. One hundred percent. But the the all those people thought they were in before we even had them. <laughs> Sam's the first person who came on as a guest because she's nice to us and she humored our stupid show, which no one cared about <laughs> at the time. And then after having done it is still willing to come back and yes. do it again That's despite crazy. that sam has returned oh no yeah. i'm losing my headphones oh no oh no <laughs> oh, no <laughs> so sam deegan is with us today and we are here to discuss the films of jean roland oh you got it that's good yeah. you got it you just gotta swallow it while you say it <laughs> yeah well, well it's sam, french sam is... and if we're being fair I'm no stranger to the word Jean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. We are from Philadelphia after all. Oh, no. No, don't make it about that. Can it be that? Can that be my new screen name, John Roland? That is actually how I'm going to start saying it. John. We're here to talk about John Roland. John Roland loves soft pretzels and steaks. Hey, Rocky. Oh, the Eagles. Oh, God. I love the John Roland films and the Eagles. I'm leaving. I'm just going to dive out the window right now. You almost made coffee come out of my nose. Uh, Sam is Sam is okay. Tell me, what is your? You are one of the. You are the managing editor at uh, Diabolique. Is that right? I'm an associate editor. Associate editor Diabolique. Yes. And then you are the editor for the book uh, Lost Girls, the phantasmagorical cinema. Of John Roland. <laughs> John Roland. This is the special Philly version that you can only buy if you, if you live here. That, that Jean is my Jean. <laughs> it comes with a 40 of Mickey's and uh, a pack of ice. Nice. I was going to say it came with Arctic Splash, but whatever. Oh, man. That is, oh, see? That's so God. good. I love Arctic Splash. And a gift card to Wawa. <laughs> I know. Yo. Oh, I'm not going to get on that tangent right, right now. Let's go. Yes, let's I am. This. If I know Rob is listening to this. Sheets. And since Wawa just came up, <laughs> let me just say, Rob, I go to Sheets all the time, man. There's a Sheets by my house. You don't have to tag me every time you're at Sheets. <laughs> he does, And say, though. hey, look, Liam, what should I order? LOL. <laughs> Bro, you know what you order? You get the double hot dog. But don't get the hot dog. Get the Italian sausage. Uh, on listeners, a pretzel you don't roll. know who we're discussing. We're talking roll. about former guest Rob Skvarla, who uh, uh, and writer. He writes. Oh yeah, and same. writer. And he has a main man, fucking awesome dude. Yeah, I mean he's a dickhole, but sure. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say awesome to everyone except for me because uh, wow. he and I are good friends. He just trolls me all the time. Well, that's how he shows love. Is Pretty it? much, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Brutal. I'm sure it's related to the world of goths. I'm sure he's really embarrassed right now, too. <laughs> nah, <he laughs> so we should probably keep going care. with this. Anyways, <laughs> Sam, thank you for coming on. And, and I was so stoked. I mean, we have discussed it before, but I'm a big fan of... Um, uh, what is the company called again? Spectacular, Spectacular Optical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got uh, the... Um, Kid Power or the Satanic Panic book? I got the Satanic Panic book. I need to get the Kid, Kid Power book. It's, and it's then really I have, good. Now, the, her... Kira Janice. Kira Janice. Yes. 
Her first book is not on that, right? Or no, is, her she first book, uh, House of Psychotic Women, is through Fab Press, who okay. is amazing. I mean, they do so much great stuff, but they're based in the UK. So mm. I think it's a little more expensive for us to buy their books unless you can get it through Amazon. I mean, I have it. I've I've almost finished it. I will say, I don't know if this is a UK thing or what. The print in that book is really fucking small. Can I just say that? It's not an it easy is. book to read. And it's weird to me because the rest of the book is designed so well. Like, the pictures are great. The layout is great. Everything in that book is pleasant, but my eyes are not what they used to be. So sometimes <laughs> I have to, like, stop reading and is read Is Lost Girls else. too small? No, Lost Girls is great. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Nothing I can do about Girls. it now. And, and, and side <laughs> – so uh, you – you were on the Satanic Panic book, right? I was. I wrote a, you had a chapter in there. Fun chapter about heavy metal horror movies. We had when the last time we had you on the show, that had just come out, and you were about yeah. to do an event. Yes, at Philomoka. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is funny. It's sort of like history repeating itself because I just had a book come out, and I just did an event at yep. <laughs> Philomoka. Yep, an event yeah. that I couldn't go to because of baby. But I wanted to. You get a pass. But I really like the 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 um the book is great. Uh, besides the fact that Thank you. I'm enjoying, I I really like the um uh, the style of a lot of the essays. I haven't read them all yet, but everything I've read has been really well done. And even as someone who's not, it was we'll get into. Neither one of us mm-hmm. are very well versed in uh, our man John Jean, Jean, Jean. <laughs> Um but I've, I still found the writing very engaging, and yeah. even more so uh, as well. The layout is awesome, and seeing all the pictures and just the way everything about the book is very exciting for me, even though a couple of the essays have been out. Like, some of them, I was kind of like, ooh, I need to find this movie, actually, because yeah. I like a lot of the theory going on, but I kind of want to know a you little bit see more. It. Yeah, 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 see yeah. it for yourself kind of thing. But uh, I, I made sure before we did this to read uh, your podcast partner in crime. Uh, Kat, Kat Ellinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To read her, because she wrote specifically about fascination as well as the yes. nude vampire, I think. Yep, which is his yeah. second film. Mm-hmm. So that, And that was, I thought that essay was great. Uh, also, I guess I should mention that too, that you do the Daughters of Darkness podcast with her. That is, I think you guys are on a hiatus right now, is that... Yeah, we're taking a little break unintentionally just because she has uh, two books to finish. I think she just finished one of them. I have a book that's due in a couple weeks. What is the book you're working just, on? Uh, I'm doing a book on Fritz Long's film M. Whoa. That's super cool. It's, yes. it's. I mean, it's been kind of crazy having the semester, uh, the like the graduate semester end and have that due. But Sure. I'm really excited about it. Now, is that how did you get involved in writing that specifically? Was that something that you had been wanting to write about, or was that something that someone wanted from you? How did that work? So the book series is called Devil's Advocate, and they do the all their titles are mo, they're all monographs basically. So each one is about a different horror film, and. Uh, I think a couple of the people that I've collaborated with at this point either have books out through them or have books coming out. Like Kat has a book coming out next year about the film Daughters of Darkness, which awesome. is our podcast is named after. Um, 
Alexandra Heller Nicholas, who has worked on the Satanic Panic book. She contributed an essay to the Roland book. Uh, She edits Senses of Cinema, who have published some of my work. Sure. Uh, she wrote the book on Suspiria, Whoa. so it's her her Suspiria book is great. So it's just this sort of weird kind of like cross network of people whose either whose work I like or who I've worked with. So I just kind of figured I would pitch something, and every once in a while I get this really bad competitive urge where if somebody does work that I don't think is up to snuff let's say <laughs> it's this is really bitchy i probably sure. shouldn't even be admitting no, that we could totally edit it out don't worry about it <laughs> well i'm not going to name it's anyone's magic names. oh okay but so it's just like if i come across work that especially work that's getting a bigger profile and i don't think it's sure well researched enough or well written enough every once in a while i'll decide that i have to try to one-up the person at least in my own head so that's where this fucking book came from was i got really <laughs> i got really pissed off because oh somebody did this this long essay that was just like they didn't know anything about german history and it wasn't well researched and i was like well, fuck that i'm writing a book and i appreciate that, that shit is awesome man. well once i pitched the book i was like i am doing all this stuff like i don't have time to write a book what am i thinking and here we are and i'm glad about it and it's not like once i actually started working on it it immediately stopped being about trying to outdo someone and just about the fact that i love this film and the sure, director sure, sure, and, sure, sure. yeah how many books have you written total uh, well, I edited the Roland book. Mm. I've contributed to the Satanic Panic book and some other academic books, but this will be my first book on my own. And then I'll have more next year. That shit is awesome, man. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's really cool. I just need to do things like this and leave the house sometimes. We have trouble writing for our own website. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, so I definitely am like, wow, that shit is so cool. I run I run a website yeah, but for you which have, I've written once a year. But you have a Josh baby. doesn't even have a login uh-huh. to our website. <laughs> I one time got threatened to take something down by somebody, and I was like, joke's on you, don't know how to log into the website. <laughs> See you later, punk. That's a true story. That's I love that you amazing. got threatened. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a gun. Why? Why? Oh, it's a long story, Sam. You don't need to know about <laughs> okay. that. Just know that I couldn't take the shit down. That's the point of the story. <laughs> From your own website? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't even... And they, uh, you like mentioned it to me, and I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not taking it down, so the dude can do whatever he wants. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Well, we're so glad that you're here. We're excited to talk about this topic that we know nothing about. But before that... It's time for our patented, world-famous, officially copyrighted, do-not-steal-our-idea feature, Whacking on Track. Oh, so sick. That one was really good. So good. I felt good about that one. I never feel bad about it. (laughs) You never feel bad about anything. That is also true. I was was, uh, termed as Josh, who likes everything one time, and I didn't contest it. I'm the the opposite of that, so you should feel... No, no, you don't know the pressure that it can be to like everything. What's weird about Josh who likes everything is that there are specifically things I like that you don't, and then I get bummed, because I'm like, but you like everything. (laughs) In the the defense of that, I've been listening to Drake lately, so you can get fucked, Liam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking hate Drake. (laughs) Ow! Really? Why do you hate Drake? I hate Drake. Do you? Not even I hate Drake. I mean, I don't... He sucks. All of his music is shitty 
He's totally annoying. <laughs> he does a fake Jamaican thing. He's not. He does you know what? It's funny. All that is fake. So I, I've been listening to Drake because he's a soft ass motherfucker. Just to help. Okay, so I work in the mental in the mental hospital, and sometimes certain patients feel better when they listen to music. And I'm like, yo, I'm gonna do something good for Liam. Guess who's listening to Drake today? Because I thought that's what you liked. And here I am, a it fan was all of Drake. For you. Yeah. And now no, this is I'm learning that you don't like Drake because I probably hold probably on, mentioned hold it before. Let's, and I probably let's didn't fill, listen. Let's fill Sam in here too. You once made a playlist of songs you thought I fucking liked. Yeah, it's true. It was ten songs. Uh huh. Only six of them were songs I'd ever listened to in my life, ever. <laughs> Four of them I had never listened to. And then of those six, I only actually liked about five. So yeah, you're at fifty yeah, percent. Yeah. I'm with that though. That's, that's a good running count. Fifty percent. If I put together a, a playlist of shit you liked, it would all be correct. That's hilarious. <laughs> Every single thing the I would name. Fifty percent is terrible. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Fifty percent in the DJ world, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, is passing. I'm not aware of it. I totally made that up. That's totally not true. So, so, Sam, would you like to go first for whacking on Track, or would you like to go in the middle or last? I would like to go in the middle. Okay. I can't believe you added the middle. It should be first or last. <laughs> I, Too dude, late now. I'm saying, man. Hey, hey. She's allowed. Hey. Yeah. Go hey, ahead. I'm a return guest. If I return. want to go in the middle, you can do I will. Dude, you she no, could just true. make fart noises with her mouth the whole time, <laughs> and I'd be okay with it. Go ahead, Liam. You go no, first. No, I'm still thinking about mine. You no. go ahead. Oh, man. Look yeah. at that. See how you did that? Yeah. All right. Um... On track lately, what have I done? Um, not since we just podcasted recently, and uh, yeah, this is how normal podcasts go, where you yeah, don't have where three like, months, to where like... you don't have like three months of awesome shit that you do. Yeah. Um, on track. Uh, oh, I finished my first full length record. Which Congratulations! Is, I've been trying ever since I started playing music to write an entire record, and every single time at six songs, it's like, nope, not happening. So to this uh, new record is a solo record. It's called The Lonely Friend, and it's 11 songs long. And it's 32 minutes, which is the longest recording I've ever played on ever. So, And it's a solo record. So, Do you think you could play the record through live? I definitely intend to. Yeah, that's the plan. You're going to so, be so sweaty by the end. I know. I'm sweating now. It's like winter. Just but talking it's cool, about though. it? No, it's, it's one of those things where it's like... Uh, I realize that a lot of the music that I write tends to be uh, very dour at times. And then if it's like, if I'm playing instruments, it's very aggressive and angry. And this is just me and a guitar, you know, um, aping the Billy Bragg style. So, uh, who Sam doesn't listen to, apparently, which I found out earlier today, which I'm okay with. We can still be friends. Okay, totally cool. so I don't know if you remember this, but the last time I was on this show, you had to explain to me that someone no. covered that. Taylor Swift album. Oh, so man. I learn all kinds of musical things from you. Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. here's the thing. The question with Billy Bragg is, how do you feel about a British dude with an acoustic guitar singing about communism? He, it's an electric guitar most of the time. Just saying. How do you feel about a British guy with an electric guitar singing about communism? And labor stuff. Yeah. It yeah. could go either way, but probably not great. <laughs> Well, there you go. There you go. Done That's exactly the best done. review for at least so. at least it's not an acoustic guitar. If it's an electric guitar, that's one thing. There's some there's yeah, there's one acoustic song. There's a ukulele song too. But it's okay. That's not important. That's not important. What's important is that it's done. It's coming out this Friday. By the time this episode comes out, it will be up. And uh I will then have accomplished one life goal. Congratulations. <laughs> not bad. Thank you. Thank you. So that's on track. Um whack. Uh this is the first time you haven't had twenty minutes on track. I know track. because you know we've been. We've you haven't been watched. Good. You haven't watched any movies. 
I haven't seen anything that I've been really... Uh, I've been working really hard on this stupid record. Man, I can't believe I'm about to blow you out of the water. I know. It's you're going to destroy my world right now. It's crazy. So, yeah. Whack. Uh, as far as Whack goes... Um, uh, you know what's funny? Cause we, did we talk about um, Justice League the last show or no? No. You could actually get into Justice League if you want. Okay. I'm not going to put it all the way in the Whack column because it wasn't all the way Whack. It was kind of Whack. But, uh, I mean, like... I don't know. Like, it's a popcorn-eating movie. I saw it. Okay, so here's the story about me seeing the Justice League. I got the invitation to see Justice League from Allied. And, oh, that's on. Sorry. I, I thought I'd turn this off. Sorry. Anyway, not important. You're so bad at this. I know. <laughs> dude, I feel like a bumbling, like, doop, doop, doop. Hey, when so, you tried to introduce me, my headphones fell off, so. No, that's true. <laughs> you were just, your headphones were blown off I was by too the podcasting excited. power. Yeah. So, I work at a hospital. This dude is my friend and he's a farm tech and he's like 70 years old and he has been waiting for a justice league movie since 1960 since Aww. the last time that the eagles won the super bowl and i only know that because he's always like i've been waiting for this movie since the last time the eagles won the super bowl 1960 <laughs> so um wow i got the invitation and i was like yo i'm taking this dude to the movies so i went to the pharmacy and i was like hey dennis what are you doing on this night? And he's like, I'm open because he doesn't do anything because he's 70 years old. And he was like, I was like, let's go see the Justice League. So I took Dennis, the farm tech from my hospital to see the Justice League and it blew his fucking mind. I felt like fucking Santa Claus. That's adorable. Shit was awesome. Yeah, yeah. But um, that said, I didn't like the movie so much. I mean, like, you know, it's like a very beefy, very beefy movie. <laughs> Lots of big guys beating up other well, people. Well, I mean, it's just funny because, like, their forearms look gigantic. I'm making a forearm motion. Their forearms look humongous, like tree trunks, like my thigh. <laughs> it's like, yo, Ben Affleck, stop lifting weights. Yeah, hey, I, I, I don't want to see Ben Affleck like that. It's fine. I don't know. Uh, do you like popcorn? Because I love popcorn, so that was my main purpose. For... There's so many movies out that I want to see. I can't imagine making time for Justice League. Even though multiple people invited me, like, yo, we're going. And I'm like, I think I'm just going to stay home. Yeah, no, you're good with that. You don't need to see it on the big screen. I really enjoyed... Oh, I'm cutting in, sorry. No, no, it's fine. That's all I got. What? So my, my corollary to your Justice League is... Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed the crossover on the CWDC shows. They just did a crossover event called Crisis on Earth X, and all the crossover events on those shows are always really bad because the they previously it felt like what they they felt like they were doing is like look we can't have a crossover event that actually impacts the shows because mm. what if you only watch Arrow and then something happens on the Flash crossover episode you watch all those shows? and it affects Arrow then you'll miss out and then this is the first year after six years of these shows they said what if we did a crossover event. That affects every one of the shows. So if you miss one, you're actually fucked because we Whoa. changed the show. And that was actually the right call. So then like watching it through, I was like, oh, that was actually kind of fun. I mean, they have two problems. One is they have no budget, so the special effects are always bad. Okay. Period. That's just how it is. Right. And then two, at, on at least two of the shows, they don't actually know how to – So. Obviously, when you're writing a story, even with superheroes, the primary thing that you need to figure out are things like plot and <laughs> character. Right. But you also need to figure out how to write a scene in which a guy shoots nuclear fire from his hands. That, like, that nerd aspect is actually, like, I actually think some of those shows are doing pretty good with some of the character development yeah. and stuff. Not great, but doing okay. But sometimes they're just Dude, like... I'm still shocked that you watch Arrow. Uh, to be fair, and yeah, I kind of can't believe that. To be fair, we don't watch Arrow. We just watched the episode for the crossover event, and then uh, I was kind of like, a character showed up, and I was like, 
oh, this character's on Arrow now? Fuck. I missed that because we haven't been watching it. But I still watch Flash. I still watch Supergirl. I still watch Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Those three right there. Mind blown. I haven't even heard of the last one. It's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, okay. Look, look, all, no those, all those shows. Listen. But this is what I'm saying. I, I have I have all the DC I can handle from those shows. Uh-huh. And I only watch those like, oh, we're having dinner. or We'll put a, one of those shows on and it's mm. fine. Um, so why would I go out of my way? To, if I'm going to go to the theater... I don't need to see Justice League. There's so many movies out yeah, there I no, want to see. No, no, That's fair. That's fair. Um, so, keeping on with my whack on track. Side Even though yes. Sam was supposed to go middle, but go on. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go no, ahead. you can go. No, go ahead. I'm fine. <laughs> so gracious a guest. You are so actually gracious. the best guest we've ever had. Fuck. Man, go ahead, Sam. All right. Well, if I come back a third time, I'm just going to break things and be rowdy. Do yeah, it. That'd be, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Sam's going to take my guitar off the wall and just slam Liam in the head with it. It's gonna be you, awesome. should just, you should just come in and chug... <laughs> A bunch of beer, like on mic, <laughs> and then just be like, "Fuck all y'all!" Beer. I'm gonna chug a bottle of mezcal. Whoa, <laughs> sick ayahuasca. I don't know. I just said it. I just said it. I'm not I, gonna do ayahuasca yeah, on you your show. I don't know. I don't. You, you know. This is just about you being racist. Also, can we just say that uh, 2018 will be the death of guilty pleasure on this show? I don't ever want you to say that you're sorry for watching something, Leo, because you shouldn't be. That was after you just shamed me for watching it. I know. Yeah. I mean, I'm still going to do the fun <laughs> things, but I'm just saying. I, it wasn't even a shame. I just was surprised. Really? Hey, Sam, what's going on with you? Whacking on track. <laughs> uh, well, so I don't know that I have anything for whack. Other That's than, great. That's, that's awesome. Great. That means well, you're living life right. I don't know that it does mean I'm living life right. I oh. think it just means that I've been working a lot, so I haven't really been watching or reading anything unless it's something for research which file working a lot is whack it could yeah i mean i like it it's it's been positive stuff i think the whack thing is i need more time more hours in the day Mm. um on track let's see so i have been working my way through uh speaking of fritz long uh Kino put out this big box set of all his silent films it's like 12 discs it's amazing it's so amazing, and I mean, partly I've been watching it to review for Diabolique, but also partly for my M book, but I would watch the whole thing Just anyway. either way. It's yeah. amazing. I feel like there's something I watched recently and loved, but of course now it's just totally gone from my brain, <laughs> which is really embarrassing. But you knew the segment was coming, Sam. And I thought about it, and because I didn't write it down... <laughs> Because this is what happens if I don't right. write things down; they're just just gone with the wind. It's gone. Right. Dang. I want to make fun of you, but and I was going to make fun of you by saying like, "Oh, why don't you just use Letterboxd or whatever?" But I and I do. And uh, if I logged into my Letterbox right now, I could be like, "Oh, this is what I watched." See, my problem is I have Letterbox, and I then I regularly forget to yeah. update it. Then I'll be like, "Oh, we're recording. Let me open my Letterbox," and I'll look and be like. Oh shit! I haven't updated my letter. I mean, yeah. right now it's up to date for December, mm. but I know my November list is missing like ten movies that ten I just forgot movies that yeah. you just didn't put on there. Yeah. I'm super vigilant about updating mine, but I don't know the password, so oh I, I have to be on my laptop where it's oh like my where my password is saved, so I can't log that's in from amazing. my phone. Dude, that's a Josh move if ever I heard one. Don't know it until it's yeah. Yep. It's... Didn't you have to re? 
Didn't you have to get a new Twitter because you forgot the password on one of your I also Twitter had to do accounts? that with my Bandcamp page the, for the new record. I the had to same start thing through. happened to me with yeah. Twitter. It's all Jesus. Good. <laughs> I've been trying to be better at Twitter, though, too. I'm, I'm, I'm just, terrible at Twitter. It's like I'll have months where I post stuff and people respond, yeah. and then I get stressed out about people <laughs> responding, so I stop posting stuff. I, think twi- awesome. I will say I think Twitter's better if you turn off the notifications. I have no notifications. Yes. Uh-huh. I only do it for you, Liam. Yeah, and I like that you're doing it a little more, but that's you, the truth. I you, only tweet because Liam makes me feel shitty about not tweeting. Yeah, you should tweet more, and it bums me out that you don't. You see? But here's, so much guilt here. But I think the Twitter thing is kind of like running. It's like it's like <laughs> the more you do it, the more shitty you feel about it. <laughs> or well, no, the other way. This is, is what, what no, mean? this is what I'm saying. You're, you, you're, it's like running. Your Twitter use is like the guy who like runs for like five miles, yeah, and then doesn't run again for two weeks, and then when he goes to run five miles again, he's like, "Why doesn't this feel right?" <laughs> because you have to oh, do it yeah. in smaller bursts every right. day. Right. Don't just kill yourself. You like go on Twitter and you're like, here's six jokes that I think are really funny. And I'm like, no one pays attention to you because you never tweet. Yeah. So then you're like, no one responded to my jokes. I'm like, because most people don't know you exist. Oh, man. So much like that life. That is this so internet. cruel. So much like life. I'm just saying. <laughs> all, all, I'm, all, I'm, all I'm saying is that. Uh, I'm getting better, Liam. I'm trying harder. To be fair, let me be fair. For, let me be clear to our audience. Right. The only reason I think you should there's only two reasons I think you should use Twitter more. One is just for the sake of Cinepunks because right. I think it's a way for you to interact with people who care about Cinepunks. And people do, which yeah. is also weird. But go on. Two, because you already use Facebook like Twitter. And but I barely put, use Facebook anymore. Anymore, but for a lot. When I first got on you to use Twitter more, you would go on Facebook and you would make pithy. <laughs> comments in less than 140 characters on Facebook. And I'm like, this is not what Facebook is for. (laughs) But now the character count is up. Yeah, now you can actually say more stuff. say whatever the fuck I want. I know. Drunk with power. When the character count first went up on Twitter, I was like, I'll never do that. And within a day, I was like, nope, I'm going over. I'm doing (laughs) it. I'm doing it. I, so... Part of my day job is I do social media. Do you really? And you have to do that. Yes, I have to. And I have to post I bet about, you hate it. I is it a bummer? It. I imagine it's a bummer. I work in a fucking cancer center, so I post on social fuck. media about cancer. So, yeah, it's Dude, a bummer. What, the fuck? <laughs> what but... are you tweeting about? I'm sorry. <laughs> my voice went up to elicit a little bit more incredulity. I didn't mean that. Go on. Uh, I what, post are, what do you tweet about? About scientific advancements if we're because oh. we so we see patients but we also fund research at other universities so like i'll i'll post about collaborations but now i've gotten so fucking lazy i just will copy my facebook post and paste it on twitter because there's no like there's no reason to edit yeah, yeah. no i don't have to wow. cut it down it's the best do you have anything else on track? <laughs> aside, I'm just trying aside. to get us back onto you. <laughs> topic. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> don't make fun. I'm doing my best. I thought you already started, but go no, on. No. Go on, Sam. I mean, I guess I should just state the obvious and say, as far as on track, I'm just really pleased about the way the Berlin book is being received. Yes. It's awesome. It's, I mean, I, people have told me they're really – even the people who haven't gotten it yet are like, I need to get that book. It's so cool, whatever. And everyone I know who's gotten a copy has already finished it and is super stoked on it. That's yeah. – it's also weird. <laughs> so it's Why is it weird? It's great. I, I think I just have this, like, personality thing where 
your successive verse, or at least it feels strange. Is that what it is? Yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's me. Mm. Like, I'll get people who will write me on Facebook or Twitter about my writing and about this book, and mm. I'm just sort of like, stop. It's an uncomfortable <laughs> feeling. No, I definitely It's that. a weird feeling, but anytime I talk about it, it makes me feel really ungrateful. But... And with with this book, it's easier because some of the other chapters are written by other people. Right. So I guess in my head, it's like I'm supporting other people's work. Sure. And that makes it way less. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Easier to promote and easier to like I've had to do some interviews and. That's awesome. It's though. not weird because I get to talk about like other all these great work. writers yeah. that I got to work with. And. But yeah. No, I get that, though. I totally do get that. The first time it occurred to me for myself is when somebody sang a song that I'd written while I was at a show. And like like I said, all the shit that I write is really fucking deep and shitty. You know what I mean? And then when someone says it back to you, you're like, oh, you're listening. This sucks. It's That's got to be a weird feeling. It sucks. It's terrible. (laughs) It's fucking terrible. I need to do more creative things because um, I am, uh, I don't know. It's not that I'm a narcissist, but it's I'm I'm self in, I'm self involved enough that like if that ever happened I'd be like yeah that's right fucking a you better sing my song motherfucker I feel like maybe between the two of us there needs to be some kind of a happy medium because I've I've gotten to the point where people will send me f- like private Facebook messages and ask my opinion about something sure. and I just don't respond because I'm like, why do you care about my opinion? <laughs> but on the other hand, like it is weird though that <laughs> the opinion they want is usually about the, how their dick looks. So that's, a I never get those. I, I love have that you never get those. People I love are that. super respectful. Oh, that's amazing. The times when people are not respectful, I, they're always the weirdest situations. Like, like it won't be somebody who reads my writing and like, sometimes I'll get weird questions. Like every once in a while, I'll have a dude, usually a dude from another country. Sure. Who's like, I don't know anyone who watches exploitation films or anyone who takes seventies porn seriously. Like, give me your opinion about this specific title. Like, what do you think? And it's like, just wait for me to write about it. Like, I'm not going to have a long, I'm not going to write an essay for you in, right. in, in a like message. a messenger. I yeah. kind of like that. They think that that's what you'd be like. Oh, sure, man. Like, well, what I felt like you yeah. would just start typing something <laughs> out for them. But the times where I've encountered it the most is when it's like a peer situation, which is really oh, frustrating. Sure. Wow. So yeah, it's like, sucks. like, I definitely had a situation with a project I worked on where I had to contact somebody who had worked with the director. Okay. And they weren't like, here's a picture of my dick. But we we became friends-ish, like, you know, remote internet friends. And then it just kind of turned into, like, they asked me on a date and... Yeah, that gets weird. Like, jokingly asked me to marry them. And it was like dude like <laughs> no wow so i feel like i get those kind of nebulous situations where somebody acts like they're joking around but then mm. they get angry if i don't respond and it's like no nah, dude and That's i have terrible. no fucking tolerance for it so mm. it's like i would rather lose that kind of friend than 
than play a line. Like, that's yeah, well, I think that weird. I yeah. think that makes sense. You don't want to have. I, I, I at least to me that seems awkward and fraught in a way that you don't want to have to deal with. Well, and it's not like these are not people that I know in real life. Like, right. So. Like You're I like, also I don't have to interact man, with you. What's it like being yeah. popular? No, I'm kidding. That's terrible. Love but that shit, though. it's it's weird. I don't get it. That sucks. And you so know what? Sorry. I feel like I fucking jinxed myself, and I'm gonna go home and look at Facebook <laughs> Messenger, and it's just gonna be all dick pictures. <laughs> I'm just gonna start sending you pictures of other people's. <laughs> what do you think of this one? It's a little ugly to me. <laughs> I mean, they're all ugly to me, so I'm not the one to ask, I guess. Um, okay. Out of context, they all are. Yeah, they all they all are. Context is everything. Context it, is it everything. really um, is. Speaking of dicks, I'm going to do my whack it on track. <laughs> so on track, um, I actually managed to go to the movies. I haven't been able to go to the movies in a while. Right. Uh, I don't think I've... I think Thor Ragnarok was the last movie I went to go see. Again, mm. it was with Same. Steve's. We enjoyed it. It was fun. Mm. Uh, but we went and saw that movie Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. I everyone really it. liked it. Well, of course, everyone's... It's like, okay, on one hand, it's the uh, most positively reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes mm. ever. It just surpassed Toy Story 2, which wow. was the most positively reviewed movie. Am I the only person who doesn't like the Toy Story movies? I've not seen them. I don't mind Toy Story 3. Uh, I had never seen Toy Story 2. I started watching it with my daughter, and I don't like it so far, so we'll see Whoa. what happens. I, I find the animation... Awful? God-awful? Yeah, really it just bad. didn't age well? or Yeah, I mean, maybe it... I would have liked it at the time, but right now I'm like, ugh, like it's not... <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of wow. find... I kind of... I don't really find the toys that charming. Will... No, the toys are awful. Okay, let's <laughs> let's go back to what I'm talking about, which is Lady Bird. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck those toys. Go on about Lady so Bird. So I know Lady Bird is the most positive. Of course, we're the sort of people who know people who are like... That's stupid. This movie sucks. So, like, mm. I've actually seen a mixed response because we know the sort of curmudgeons that are like, everyone loves this movie, so I fucking hate it. Yeah, but I, like, I assume I'll hate it. So I, I really it. liked it. It was one um, of those movies. Like, I got the invite for that, too, and, and me and Milani were, were going to go see it, but I was just like, I, I can't really watch another movie about, like, you know, white folks in peril. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's, it's just... not that at all. And, in fact... I won't, just, I won't call anyone out, but I've seen a few people be like, who saw it, be like, it's just some white people shit. And I'm like, I guess. Um, I don't think so. I think that's it's just... Fair. No, that's fair. I, I, think, mean, I think anyone who has a fraught relationship with their parents, mm -hmm. especially one that is uh, affected by trying to understand how people view you and how they see you i mean mm -hmm. there's a class aspect to the film um it's also a movie in which the parents are real people i actually think it's a really unique because it's not everyone has been calling it a coming of age movie mm -hmm. but it's also a movie about loss it's not just about the character ladybird moving on with her life from high school it's actually just as much about her mom letting go and I think the movie makes a real effort to make it about both those things in a way that those movies never do. Usually movies with a teenage character, all the adults are stupid caricatures. They're not real people. Yeah. This movie, they're real people. And it's also about growing up in a place that you think you hate and then you realize you don't. Mm 
Mm. And I've never been to fucking Sacramento where this movie is set. But watching it, I thought of all a lot of people I know how they thought about Philly after they left, or they right. thought about Collins Collinswood, Wood. or you know what I mean. Like I think anyone who's grown up in one of those places can appreciate that aspect of the film. Um, and I really think the way that this character is written is very honest and funny, but like endearing. And the plot does an interesting thing where it repeats jokes but the jokes are funny the first time and then they have it happen another time and it's not funny anymore. Like a similar thing happens only now it's kind of a big bummer. And I really appreciate that. So I really liked, I mean, I will say I really enjoyed it. I would even say I loved it. I think the only reason it's so well reviewed is because it's inoffensive. Mm -hmm. So like someone was like, someone said to me, in fact, I'll say Max, uh, who writes for Cinepunk sometimes was like, but I just can't accept that it's like the highest reviewed movie. And I'm like, it's really well done, but it's inoffensive. Like, yeah. which is why it's not amazing. It's just well done. But like, of course that makes it the best reviewed movie because there's no one watching. There's very few people watching and going, Oh, I fucking hate that. Cause it was hard. Like it's easy. It's not asking anything of you, but that doesn't mean it's not well done. It's right. very well done. And I really appreciated it. And I emotionally connected with it because you know, sometimes my relationship with my mom is kind of fraught. I like you love parent stories though, and that was even before you had a kid. You it's, loved... it's true. I, I uh, depending on how they're done. I mean, some right. parent stories I fucking hate, but certain kinds of parent stories I really like. Um, I also really liked it set at during two. It's setting set in two thousand and two, mm. and there's a lot in the movie about the Iraq War, and you oh, could wow. you could make a very strong argument, as Brendan Foley does on our very own site, Cinepunks, that <laughs> in a very strong way, the movie <laughs> is about the world dealing with, about living in America during the Iraq War. Yeah. That, like, it's an undercurrent, but if you're paying attention, it's actually important to what's going on in the rest of the film. And I think that's true. I don't mean that in a deep way. I don't think that mm. the film is meant to be particularly political, but it sort of talks about, like, it's weird. It was weird to be dealing with your own life when there's these other things going on as well. Yeah. So I, I liked it. Um, I also watched recently a movie on Shutter called Lace Crater. How was that? I really liked it. I think um, I did not like it as much as say something like Ladybird, but I wanted to mention it because it's a small film. Did you see it? It's only on Shutter. No. It's a weird horror movie. Like I, I, it's more of like a ghost story drama sort of thing. Mm. Um, like Personal Shopper, kind of? I haven't seen Personal Shopper oh yet. Oh, my God. It's on my must-see. This is why I was saying I got to take a yeah. day off of work to catch to. up on movies. I really want to see Personal Shopper. This is not – my guess is it's not as good as Personal Shopper, but it's so it was seems so small and low budget that I wanted to mention it. If mm. you like those sort of – personal you know it kind of reminds me maybe of like a swanberg kind of movie like Mm. that sort of thing um but i thought the gimmick of it which is friends at a party and this uh young lady interacts with someone who maybe is a ghost but the guy is very it's you would expect someone who is dead to be able to articulate that they are dead Mm. and this guy just doesn't know what's going on he knows he's not alive anymore but he just can't explain he's i don't know i'm just here now and this is just (laughs) what i'm doing so they hang out they talk and then uh you know they fuck and uh and then things get complicated right and it has it starts off like oh is this going to be twee like that was my anxiety when it started it's going to be twee and then things go wrong and it's really fucking gross and, it and goes alienating. Typo negative on you instead of tweet. Does she have a ghost baby? 
she doesn't have a ghost baby, but that would have been awesome. <laughs> um, Missed opportunity. But it, it also plays off, not only is it gross in a very sort of physical, visceral way, but uh, more, it also is about a strained, things become strained with her friends. And I really liked the mixing of um, the alienation of not quite body horror, but almost like a body horror thing. Mm. And then the personal alienation of like your friendships falling apart and things right. because you're going through this weird experience. So I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It's not amazing or anything, but because it's a smaller film and I enjoyed it, I thought, well, let me hype that up yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Shudder is awesome too. Yeah, I just love Shudder. Whack um, for horror business, and we'll talk about this on the horror business episode, but I had to mention it because it made me so mad. And you have to cross I watched 1975's Buck. Oh, I oh seen this movie. yes. I do not like this movie. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> There's an earthquake. A bunch of bugs come out of the earthquake, and the bugs have little feelers on them that cause fires. It's I really like the it. The concept is great. <laughs> right. I'm all about it. But there is a pivotal moment in which um, a guy, after the bugs have killed his wife, decide that what his next step should be is to crossbreed the bugs with normal roaches. I just it's don't so get... It's so good. No. It makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it was, it, 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 once he starts experimenting with the roaches, it got so boring. Whoa. Whereas there when it first started... some boring moments. When it first started, don't get me wrong, the concept is sick. Yeah. And maybe that's why I got so bummed later on when it doesn't all deliver. all the way in on the beginning. It's bugs that start fires. What the fuck? Yeah. But it's like they move... Like the bugs come out. Fires start, and the fires are everywhere. Like, the whole town is on fucking fire. And then, like, people still don't really know the bugs are there. Like, it, I think it doesn't quite figure out how to amp up the action. And then when the guy starts being like, I'm, I'm going to get revenge for my wife by experimenting with the bugs and making new bugs? Like, I can't. I couldn't. <laughs> you so, must not know very many scientists. But go no, on. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but honestly, I'm also reaching a little bit because it's the only whack thing I've done because my, you know. My, my life is dope. and you It's do been dope pretty dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I but, get it. Um. But I didn't. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Fair. But you're right. Cross promote. Listen to the horror business. You hear. <laughs> you hear us talk about that as well as uh, mimic. Mimic. All right. Okay. So after the break, we are going to talk in depth about the movies of Jean Roland. <laughs> John. John. John Roland. <laughs> we'll talk about the genre that John Roland is in. We're going to talk about some John Roland Johns. It is going to be great. All right, after the break. Bye.
talk about. We got to stop making this shit. I know. This is like not funny any, at all. Anyone who's listening to this podcast has to be so annoyed with I this. I know. They're just like, yo, I hope one of you guys just throws up all over yourself. <laughs> but anyway, so, Sam, talk to us about your relationship with John Ron. Like, how did you get into this? So. Like, what was your first interface? And, when I was like 13 or 14, I started regularly buying things from Suncoast Video. And oh, yeah, totally. Renting from the video store near me and eventually would find, like, I got really into Euro Horror. Right. Which was at that time pretty, still pretty hard to track down. Mm-hmm. And. So when I you would say just, Euro horror, what exactly do you mean? Like Fulci, Argeno, mm-hmm. like mostly stuff that came out in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Right. I've never really connected that much with American horror. I mm-hmm. mean, I like I love Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, but mm-hmm. in general I tend to be more of a European cult film fan. And so I would start like reading any kinds of film books I could get a hold of, finding like bootleg catalogs. And I kept hearing about Roland, but he was given so much less attention than like Jalo movies and Argeno and even then Fulci and probably even then just Franco. And so I managed to get a hold of a bootleg of living dead girl and was totally blown away because Part of what I love about his work, but part of what makes it so difficult to explain to people or recommend to people is that if you like straightforward horror that's really has a linear plot and it's really just about scares or gore, like he's not really for you because he does all kinds of like he's got all these sort of plot non sequiturs. He's way more into visuals. He includes all these elements from different genres And Living Dead Girl, I think a lot of the time is advertised as this sort of over-the-top, really gory zombie movie. And it does have moments of very over-the-top gore. But it's basically this sort of love story between two women who are reunited and will do whatever they can to stay together. So it's really, like, sad and and has this tragic ending and... So nothing at all like the kind of gory movies that it's kind of categorized with. Like something like Dr. Butcher is is coming to mind where it's just like Well, there's also a sense <clears throat> there's also a sense of tragedy that yeah. you don't get and melancholy that you don't get in horror movies. Like you don't get in horror movies from that period. I would say mm-hmm. In a few of the like later like uh, French extremity sort of stuff, you get some of that feeling a little bit. But in that era, everything was just like more extreme. And that particular movie, it's so sad. That feeling of like, I don't want to be me. I don't want to exist. I don't want to be here. And the pain of that both for, uh, what is her name? Victoria? Catherine. Oh, Catherine. So and Catherine then... is the is the living dead girl and, and then, Helen is her friend. Is, there, is that her friend or her sister? It's her friend. Oh, okay. So basically their child, the, the whole thing is their childhood friends. Right. And Catherine later dies of some undisclosed illness that you don't hear about it, but, but it makes no fucking sense because she's been dead for like three or four years and her corpse hasn't rotted and he never bothers to explain that. 
Yeah. So it's like that kind of shit where if you if you need things to be linear and rational, these are not the films for you. Yeah, and even the like none of the dialogue makes a lot of sense. Even like the people, like obviously the uh, Helen and Catherine are in a sort of situation where not all their dialogue needs to make sense. They're in this almost other space in their scenario. Yes. Well, the normal people around them don't talk in like the there's an American there's a couple where it's American. The and fucking French. worst Americans ever. Yeah, terrible. Oh my god. Are they smoking Newports and like throwing litter all over the place or something? No, the boyfriend so it's this woman photographer yeah. who is the most annoying person who has ever existed, maybe. I just wanted her to die the whole time. <sighs> and she does eventually in sure, a pretty but horrible like, way. But, quite, but like right away yes. I was like, Ugh, you're the worst. <laughs> and her boyfriend knows how annoying she is and the boyfriend's terrible but you almost feel bad for him because she's so annoying but he has this very sort of oh your your photography hobby is adorable but like it's getting in the way of my lunch like there are these tourists in the french countryside it's like will someone just decapitate these people please (laughs) right right (laughs) or drown them and really anything would be fine wow like he doesn't believe anything she says and it's just it's like you're supposed to hate them both. Right. And it sounds like they do an effective job making you hate them. Yes. Fair enough. I have not seen this movie. You guys both saw this movie. Yeah. Well, so this was. That was your introduction. Yeah. I sort of like went on a long tangent here. Nope, but that's fair. that. That's fair. So that was the first movie of his that I had seen and was really surprised by it and had to watch it a couple times before I could decide if I liked it or not. And then mm. was just hooked and had to try to find them all. Wow. But over the years since, and so this is now almost 20 years ago, and since then it's like I'm constantly getting into arguments with people who think he's schlocky or a hack or just a terrible filmmaker. Mm. And so that's sort of how the book came to be, is that I got tired of screaming at people. (laughs) You're like, here, read this. (laughs) Let me tell you in many thousands of words how wrong you really are. And I'll get other people to help me. <laughs> now, uh, Josh, had you, before this topic came up, had you seen any of his films? I've only seen the boxes from working in video stores. I've never actually watched them. I had trouble when I, when this first... I actually think I was sent um, a re-release of Shiver of the Vampires Yes. to review. Mm-hmm. A review I don't think I ever wrote because I went through a period where it was hard for me to write anything. Right. And I had confused him with uh, Jess Franco. Who did? Which is definitely something that happens to him. A lot. Jess Franco, for the reference, is the Vampirous Lesbos guy? Yes. Yeah, so... Did I say that right? You did. Well, then, good. (laughs) There's no John in there. (laughs) I definitely intended to say it exactly correctly as I did, but go on. Uh, And I've seen Vampirous Lesbos, and in fact, when I was trying to describe who John Roland was... (laughs) Uh, I definitely referenced Vampirus Lesbos, and that was like, no, wait, no, that's well, it's it's confusing because it's like they both make these kind of difficult European cult movies, and for anybody who doesn't know what the fuck we're talking about, Jean Roland is French and. Jess Franco is Spanish, but because of... The, Jesus Franco. Yes, Jesus. Because really? of the the Franco-era dictatorship, no, nothing, no relation to Jess Franco, he couldn't make movies in Spain. So he sort of would wander around Europe 
and get funding wherever he could. Like some of his movies were co-funded by England, some by West Germany. So what would you, I mean, Roland is always based France. in France. Well, it, and they're both known for a lot of Tits. nudity in their films. Yes. But other than that, would you say their styles are that similar? I would say they have nothing in common except yeah. for the fact that they make cult movies versus explicitly horror movies. Sure. They do both have a lot of nudity and they both have kind of a surreal quality. But, I mean, Franco made so many more films than Roland did. I mean, I think if you include his porn films, Roland made probably like 30 or 40, whereas Franco made like 200. Right. And I think people get confused like you were mentioning because franco made a very small number of what could be described as vampire films like he did an adaptation of dracula with christopher lee and klaus kinski called count dracula and then he did vampire with lesbos he did another one that i love called female vampire which is basically a porn film but rolan had way more of a like stake but I'm, I didn't do that on purpose. Whoa. I didn't do that on purpose. Jesus. That's Jesus. <laughs> and not Jesus Franco. <laughs> I'm sorry that I just did that. <laughs> he had more of a stake in vampire films. <laughs> well, it, it, it seems like... It's um, so good. <laughs> it, go you. on. It seems like... Uh, and you, we, you can talk a little bit about this too. I'm no Franco expert, but it seems like, at least from reading the book... Uh, in relation to Roland, that the vampire as an image like functions for him in a very specific way. Like he's doing something and he has, I, I don't want to say, um, uh, th- th- there are recurring themes and things that he's doing. And it, I, I don't know. I don't know that that is necessarily true of Franco. I think Franco has recurring themes, but not in the same way. I think Definitely Roland has a set of maybe three or four problems that he's constantly working through throughout his career. How would you describe those? So one of his main problems is he looks at bourgeois romantic relationships and how that can be turned on its head. Sure. Particularly in terms of how that's used in horror movies like that, this sort of idea of, which it's in basically every vampire, every hammer vampire movie where there's this like usually young married couple who shows up at this castle and this very predatory male vampire tries to prey on the wife. Whereas Roland never has that dynamic at all, but he often has those characters. It's just a different framework every time where vampirism becomes a symbol for sort of social rebellion or sexual freedom or even women's freedom. Do you think that cinematically speaking, his vampires um, were some of the first that seem to have like, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. It seems like vampires of a certain type at this time, they're, tend to be like uh like scuzzy creepers yeah like they don't have a lot of dignity like his vampires it's all it, it seems like they're like better like well, they're it seems like, like they they're... have an agency that's missing from a lot of vampire movies of this time yeah would you say that like i would definitely agree with that and i think it's because so whenever he has for the most part he has 
predominantly female vampire characters, but right. whenever he has male vampires, they tend to be these sort of older guru figures who aren't really motivated by sex or blood or some kind of supernatural need to feed on humans. Sure. They're, they're these sort of wise figures who lead the much younger characters away from this repressive bourgeois environment, which no right. one else was doing. Yeah. And I mean, even if you look at something like Blackula or Count Yorga, which both of those were AIP's attempts to make a new American vampire, they're still both predatory characters and they're both very sexually motivated. Right. But then Roland's female vampires are similarly all about social freedom, but also very much about romantic love in a mm. way that I don't think any vampire movie dealt with until uh, maybe the Frank Langella Dracula, which does have that sure. romantic subplot, or even uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. But he, I think, was maybe the first person to do that to at least give that such a an emphasis that vampires could have feelings and weren't just these sort of stereotypes in every movie so you mentioned three problems one of them is the sort of bourgeois love relationship and especially how those function in horror narratives what were the other two so the second one, which I think is really interesting, and I wrote one of my chapters so i I wrote a couple chapters for the book, but one of mine focuses on this and it's the way he deals with female relationships and he constantly has this recurring pair of friends, these two female friends who are often named Marie and Michelle, but sometimes have different names and they show up throughout his films over and over again. They even show up in his porn films and in his early seventies films like Requiem for the Vampire, which is all about, Michelle and Marie and how they sort of wander into this castle of vampires accidentally. He was forced by his producers to add scenes of sort of implied sex and some more nudity. And he didn't really want to. So he sort of enters into this strange territory where they're not explicitly lesbians and they're not explicitly in a romantic relationship, but they have this really strong bond that seems to transcend any kind of preconceived idea of what a relationship between two people is. And he kind of tries to work that out in a lot of different movies. Like, what does that mean to these characters? How can it be beneficial? How can that kind of relationship be negative or toxic or lead to their deaths? Are, do, would it be better for them to die together than to be forced to live in this world apart. Like he just asks all these questions about female friendships that I don't think a lot of male directors in any genre really ever ask. Would you say that's president? And we're, we'll talk, we're going to specifically talk about fascination. Do you, would you think of that friendship within that uh, of those two characters or is that kind of something else entirely? No, I think that is the same type of problem is, mm what is their relationship to each other? And I think it's sort of revealed at different points in the movie to be a different relationship than you thought it was. Right. And 
their relationship is more complicated and sort of more changeable than his female friendships usually are, which I think is really interesting because he shows, he doesn't present them as these sort of like frou-frou, innocent girls from a fairy tale who just wandered into the vampire's castle or the witch's dungeon. It's, they have very complicated motivations and they're not always good people. Right. Which I, I like so much about fascination. And what was the third problem that you feel like he's always sort of addressing? I think it's sort of, again, about that romantic bond and how that can exist within the world. So it's sort of lip and lips of blood definitely addresses this where if you have this all consuming love for someone, and I guess this, the third problem is sort of a subset of the first two or like an overlap between the first two. It's if you have this all consuming love for someone, can a relationship that special exist in the real world? And I mean, in lips of blood, it, it clashes with a parent-child relationship. In The Nude Vampire, it clashes with a parent-child relationship. In Living Dead Girl, it sort of clashes with mortality. Mm. So I, I think it's like he has this very... And this is totally different from what somebody like Jess Franco does. Where it's like he has this very sort of almost innocent notion of romantic love that he recognizes is in some way not realistic. And I think that's that what we were talking about earlier, not in the episode, but beforehand this movie, iron Rose, where these two characters fall in love and go to a cemetery for this like romantic, romantic late night tryst. There's this idea that that kind of relationship isn't sustainable in the real world Mm -hmm. in a way that I think, makes a lot of his films really melancholic or even tragic, like we were saying. And it's just that impending doom of burning out kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's not even that the relationship burns out, because there's not ever really like a Bonnie and Clyde type of vibe. It's just more, it's like too pure for the world. Mm-hmm. It's and like this weird clandestine that can't exist kind of thing. Exactly. Like, he has this experimental movie called Lost in New York, where from much later in his career, from the early 90s, where these two girls are sort of... It's it's really surreal. And these two girls are sort of like... They come together and disappear and reappear through different points in time. And like they lose each other and they find each other again. And when they find each other, he lets them go off into this sort of... Like he doesn't kill them, which happens to a lot of his his characters. But they go off into this sort of imaginary place where they can be happy. It's yeah, strange, but interesting. Wow. So it seems like, I mean, I'm, I, I am seeing everything you're saying, uh, but I know that you've encountered people who look at his movies and they're like, this is a boring horror movie with lots of boobs. And that's how people tend to dismiss him. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, sort of like how you respond? I mean, obviously, these you can see these complicated sort of things that he's engaged with. And for me, I really actually love 
the kind of emotional like the, like you said melancholic like that in the way that he is it's not necessarily a film that's being pushed forward by like a narrative energy but there's like a kind of atmosphere there's at least with a visual aspect to this melancholy yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah it seems like so just from what i understand these are very or pretty relatively low budget movies yeah definitely but they look amazing oh, they don't look like low budget movies to me they look very calculated. I guess I'm looking for a response to the people who just are like, it's yeah, a boring boobs. horror movie yeah. with this boobs. This is trash. Yeah, because yeah, that's how people seem to dismiss him. And yeah. for me, again, I haven't seen all the movies, but I've now seen a few where I'm like, well, yeah, the pacing is not necessarily yeah. gripping for some people. And if you're looking for lots of gore, it's I mean, literally the, movie, the most yes. gory one. Some of one... them have a lot of gore. Living Dead Girl. Well, yeah, I was going to say Living Dead Girl of, does. Uh, grapes of Death is really gory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, I just, I he's just... like, quote, so basically something happens around 78, which is when Grapes of Death is made, where his producers basically said, if you want to keep making films, you're going to have to make something a little bit more commercially viable. And what's really big right now are these disaster movies, these zombie films. And part of the problem was he had started around like 74, 75, the porn laws in France changed. And so suddenly people could start making porn films and making a decent amount of money off of it. Sure. But that gradually began to trickle out like into the early 80s. So he kind of his his like backup stream of income started to dry up and he was forced to kind of make these zombie movies which were very graphic. But still super emotional, which I think right. did not go over well with people who just wanted to see arms ripped off. Did hmm. you like these movies? I mean, I love his movies. Okay, so fair. Is there but, is is there something he's done that you are like, okay, that's the one that sucks, or that's the one I'm not really into? Oh, you trying to get into Zombie Lake right now? <laughs> no, because you told me you liked Zombie Lake. I love Zombie Lake. I couldn't get into it, but here's the thing, too. I will say this. Hey, it's about a beautiful parent-child relationship you I, love that no but here's here's what i will say i think Zombie that dad i think that the idea that you push a director to go into a place where maybe they don't feel entirely comfortable um can have some great results and it can have negative results yeah and one of the negative results is false advertising if i knew Definitely. going into zombie lake that i was getting this sort of, you know, I put Zombie Lake on because I wanted to watch a fucking zombie movie. Right, it's in the name. I wasn't expecting a, uh, not like, I wasn't, I basically I wasn't expecting what I got. Right. And I didn't even make it all the way through the whole thing because I was just like, well, oh, this isn't really what I'm in the mood for. Right. But now that I know it as part of his sort of overall thing, maybe I gave it a, I mean, because this was like, I was probably 24. It's also... Bananas. It's a weird. I mean, no wrong. It wasn't boring, but it just wasn't what I wanted at the time. I was kind of like, what am I even watching right now? No, and I think he really suffered from that more than most other horror directors. Like his first movie, uh, The Rape of the Vampire, is set up like a crime serial from the 1910s or the 1920s. It's split into two parts. There are characters who reappear throughout both, but it doesn't make a whole lot of narrative sense. Beautiful, but again, a very 
new interpretation of vampires and deals with things like sexual trauma and mental illness. And there are these male characters who don't believe, I feel like it's a really topical film for right now. I mean, basically the crux of the first half is that these male characters don't believe that this female character has been gang raped and is suffering from extensive trauma because of it. And the whole first half of the movie is him trying to disprove her and make her believe that this never happened and it's all in your imagination. And eventually you find out that it's not all in her imagination and it's why she's, she turned into a vampire and so on and so forth. But it was advertised as a pretty straightforward vampire movie. And so when people went to see it, they flipped a shit and through like riots started in the theater. Yeah, that cha- I read that chapter and I was like, what? I love that chapter. Yeah, uh, really so that good. was that there's a chapter on that film written by this writer, Jeanne D'Amelio, who wrote another chapter on two of his like, least seen movies sidewalks of bangkok and killing car where he deals with this sort of like exotic female asian stereotype that was popular in the crime serials from the 10s and 20s that i just mentioned like he watched those films growing up and so elements of those pop up throughout his work in a way that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you haven't seen any of them But so she talks all about the history of why it was so poorly received and what he was trying to do and how he wasn't trying to make a straightforward horror movie. And that definitely gets discussed a lot in the book where people were expected to see something that they didn't get. Yes. And that I think was frustrating for him because obviously he didn't, he's not a marketer. He didn't market his own Mm. films. But they didn't really know what to do with him. And I feel like horror fans still kind of don't. It's like you either like weird stuff or you're more open-minded about seeing things that are unconventional or you just want a straightforward horror movie. I mean, I wonder to what extent people are attracted to his movies at first because they think even if they not just they think they're a horror thing, but maybe they think they're getting into like a sexploitation, like a just you know, oh the nudity. But you know, I'm I'm pretty easily won over by nudity. Nudity's great, <laughs> but I don't think in all the movies. Like what was interesting about we should probably get into talking specifically about fascination. Yeah. But one of the things I thought was interesting about fascination is that um, the one character is presented very sexually, like she has this uh, bodice on and this whole outfit. But the other characters, when they are nude, it, it they have like these sort of sheer capes. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel very sec. It's not presented in a way where it's like, yeah, here <laughs> comes the sexiness. It's sort of like, and especially the one scene, um, uh, you know, at the end when they all yeah, well, let's just say spoiler. There's a point where they end up instead of feasting on this male character who yeah. I'm kind of expecting them at any point to like devour him, mm. they turn on her and, on the, you know this person who's sort of part of their group. It that is not a comforting scene. Like that no. is like no, a it's disturbing. And, and anyone who's like watching that being like, oh yeah, they don't have <laughs> clothes on. You'd yeah, have to no. be pretty fucked up to be like, oh this is so sexy. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, clearly yeah. not the point. He's not there. He's not. He's not tantalizing you. Is not what he's. It, it, at least it doesn't feel no. like that to me. Um, 
So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Fascination, and then if we have time, we can get into List of Blood too because we watch both those. But Fascination, you know, it starts with this scene that I think is crazy at the butcher where they're gonna drink the because it comes in again. Blood. But it was like yes. a weird way to start the movie. I was yeah. like, okay, and then we just go from there, and I'm like, I don't even know what that was yeah. about. They're just drinking ox blood, and we're just yeah. drinking it, and the then all of a sudden, anemia. and then all of a sudden, we're with yes. this group of uh, of criminals. By the way, wearing the most ridiculous outfits. Yeah, dude, the hats most in that scene ridiculous. are amazing. Dude, the floppy hat. Big it, fan. Big it's fan. like somebody raided. And so this is like what you kind of have to get used to when you're watching his films is that things seem really jarring or out of place sometimes. And it's like they raided the wardrobe closet at some like budget theater. Yeah, some carnival. Some carnival where there's a mix of kind of like piratey costumes, but also like Revolutionary War kind of looking yeah. costumes. Not like U.S. Revolutionary War, like French, French. Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> they they look like really poorly costumed extras from the Pirates of Penzance. Right. Like it's just yes. Like, yes. Their outfit. Exactly you're just that. like, why are these tough guys? What's going on? And then I also thought it was interesting. So we have basically this this guy. Um, he has sort of orchestrated this robbery. He's going to take the gold to someone to fence the gold and then bring mm. back money. And they like, no. try to double cross him, and he escapes uh, by taking this woman hostage. She tries to seduce him. That doesn't quite work out, but she gets away. Mm-hmm. And he takes refuge in this chateau. Castle. Yeah. The chateau is surrounded by water. It's literally isolated by water. It's mm. on this little island. And in there, and it's supposedly empty, gorgeous. but then. There are two people there. There's two women there. Yeah. Um, and Eva and Elizabeth. Eva and Elizabeth. And they are immediately evasive as to why they are there. Yeah. And they're seem... saying that everyone's coming tomorrow. And at first they kind of seem like they kind of want to get away from him or they're kind of. But I don't know. It seems it seems playful from the beginning. Yeah. And as time goes on. It's just not clear that they're intimidated by his little gut. Yeah. Side note, he has the littlest gut. It's so he's funny. He's got this like a little gun. teeny it's... gun. He's also dressed like a, a ringleader, too. <laughs> yeah. like He's got this stripy red jacket on. It's pretty cool. Pretty he's cool. trying to be ultra. Vest. The whole Sorry. time, it feels like he's trying to be ultra male. Right. Yes, which Roland throughout his films thinks is hilarious yes. and will make fun of at any opportunity he can well, take. He could try to be intimidating. Not only are they not intimidated by him, he's got a minigun. Yeah. Which, like, I, the whole time watching it being like, is that a stand-in for your cock? Like, <laughs> because it's not scary. You're yeah. not scary. And then they bust out the two knives and it's just like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. That scene happens and it's just like, man, that gun doesn't know. Well, I feel shit. like there's this sort of... And I don't know a nicer way to say this, but there's that sort of like awful jokey saying like you can't rape the willing, but that's their attitude is there like he comes in and is like, I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to assault you. And they're like, all right, (laughs) like they just don't take him seriously at all. And within, I think, five minutes also threaten him with violence reveal that they're cleverer than he is like when they have that extra extra key key, because he tries to lock them in this room and they're like jokes on you buddy (laughs) and then they immediately seduce him not the other way around and that's something that Roland does in a bunch of his films where a macho character or a character who thinks he's macho will try to assault a female character who 
just thinks the whole thing is ridiculous and is like, well, I might as well have a good time and then make you suffer in some way because you tried to assault me. It's like a swift table turn. Yes. And I, I, I get, I kind of feel like, uh, it's compelling to me to think of these female characters too, as being upsetting or upending our expectations of how female characters function Mm -hmm. because they're not. So in another film where you would see, uh, uh, a woman challenge this violent man. It's within a certain expectation. Like it's not ridiculous. It's like I'm going to be strong. And, mm-hmm. and these characters are like they don't care about you. They don't yeah. care about this dude. And they're effortlessly that they they're don't just take him seriously. And they're really cruel to him, and I kind of like it. Like, every time they're mean to him, I'm like, yeah, fuck that dude. <laughs> like, every time. And then, you know, okay, so he's in the chateau with these women. They are basically making a mockery of him. They yep. seduce him. Then the criminal folks show up, and he's like, they're like, there's there's a gun battle, which, uh, yeah. again, is not intimidating because every member of this gang has their own gun, yeah. and he's just got this little teeny pop gun, and you're like... But it's like something from an Adam Ant video. Yeah, The exactly. gun battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love and it. And then one of them is just like, well, I'll just go out there and bring them the gold. So she brings them the gold. Mm. She, uh, and this is, oh, which one is this? I think Ava. Ava, yeah. She goes out there. She uh, ends up alone with the crazy one who she's supposed to be afraid of. She doesn't care. Yep. Zero fucks given. She has sex with him and stabs him mid-coitus. Yeah. Then puts on the best outfit ever. (laughs) The black Walks out with her scythe and and just starts murdering people. people. Yeah. And it's so... It is so crazy because I've seen the cover... Yeah, there's like a few versions that you can see. There's like a painted version. There's a picture version, but this image of the woman in the black robe, black robe with the scythe, and she's nude under the robe. I've seen versions of that image because it's such a great iconic image. But it's the sort of image that I don't expect a movie to deliver on. When you see posters like that, sometimes you're like, "That's not real. That's not a thing." And not only does that image happen, but so brutal, it really adds to the to me at least, dreamlike nature. Like, okay, here I come. I'm literally death, new death here to kill you. (laughs) And then after she does that, she just goes back in the house. Dude has no idea. And they're literally, they keep telling him, we're just keeping you busy till tonight. Right. Till midnight. And he doesn't believe them. It's like they reach this point where they start warning him that, or like they don't overtly warn him, warn him, but they strongly imply that something bad is going to happen if he sticks mm-hmm. around, and that's what they want. Like they want to distract him so he stays, and he's just like, "Ha ha, you two insignificant, like weak women. What could you possibly do to me?" And then the other broads show up. Yeah, <laughs> but even within that, it's unexpected in that one of the characters, Elizabeth. She um, has mixed she, feelings. Yeah, she, she seems says, like the, I could have been in love with you. She seems like the weak one. She seems like the one who the other women can't trust. Mm-hmm. And it really comes to this point where you're like, oh wow, we're really gonna get a movie where she saves him, and she, and then instead she's she like, no, nah, fuck it, yeah. F- fuck my friend, she's dead. I don't give a fuck. And then I'm gonna take you aside, and oh, you thought I was gonna love you? Nah, we missed. We're past that. Yeah. Now I'm going to Shoot destroy you. Your you. Gun. Yeah, and. That moment at the end where she has the blood on her. She's yeah. obviously drank his blood, I guess, after she 
shot him. Yes. And the head lady is like, um, you look so beautiful with that blood in your mouth. And that's how it ends. It's like, there's something about that that was so dark. That to me was darker in a way than the zombie movie where everyone's dead or, you know what yeah. I mean? There's something yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. it that is, and again, I, I, it doesn't necessarily fit into what people think of as technically horror in a way. But for me, I was like, wow, this is a dark ass movie, you know? <laughs> well, so I think, I think we neglected to say what sort of the overarching plot is, which oh right, that's right, sorry. Is so the reason that the two women go to the butcher at the beginning is because uh, Fascination is based on this Jean Laurent story, not to be confused with Jean Roland. It's, it's a mouthful. Jean, Jean, Jean Roland, different Jean. <laughs> that's uh, my favorite Jean. Yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so he was a French writer in the late uh, 1900s and, I'm sorry, late 19th century, right. which would be the 1800s. Different. Uh, yes, different. And he wrote this, all these really sort of dark kind of gothic stories that were part of this movement called the decadent movement. It's, you know, represented in painting and literature. And he wrote this short story called the blood drinkers, which is about these women who go to drink ox blood to take a cure for anemia, but they develop a taste for blood and they start this kind of blood drinking cult. And fascination is a basically about this group of women who meet every year to drink human blood and they're not. And I think this is part of what makes it so dark is they're not vampires. They're just human women who have sort of the privilege financially and in terms of class and the opportunity to meet every year and lure someone to this chateau and kill them and drink their blood. And to your point, what I think is so fucked up is that all the double crossing and murder and literal backstabbing that goes on, it doesn't change anyone's primary motivation to just be there and drink blood. So when Ava is killed by Elizabeth and Elizabeth kills their intended victim, which is the thief Mark, they're kind of like, that sucks, but you're still here, Elizabeth. Yeah. Like, now it's your turn. And it's just it's so nihilistic. There is something, and I think Kat uh, uh, Ellinger got at this in her when she wrote about Fascination. Yeah, this, her chapter is great. That there's something, and let me be clear. I don't know how I feel about this idea, but I get it, which is that the kind of nihilistic cruelty in this movie is almost like a freedom. It's, it's a liberating like a, yeah, force it's for sure. Liberated from those sentimental bourgeois things that are, I, uh, sent, uh, I was going to say sentimental sentiments, but you know, <laughs> those feelings that maybe keep you connected in line, yeah. in line controlled, um, these women and and characters in some of the other uh, John Rowland movies I've seen. <laughs> it's never going <laughs> to get old. In this genre, <laughs> uh, that that they that that um that these characters have achieved a kind of freedom separate from those concerns. Right. Now, for me, that's hard because um, the 
community sentiment, givingness. These are the things I want to hold on to from religion. The uh-huh. part that makes me uncomfortable is all the like guilt, you know. Yeah. But uh, so th- this is the thing I've always had issues, or I- I've tried to negotiate with some of the ideas around, um, you know, the the satanic church, like which is different than you know uh, that that's like the real sort of philosophy of it, which is the idea of like yeah. self interest and the freedom of that individuality. Because, yeah, because sometimes that you know. I'm rem- I'm reminded of folks. It, it's telling to me that sometimes that falls into a kind of like uh, libertarianism that makes me uncomfortable. Right. Well, you I know? think in this case, it sort of descended from something else we talked about earlier that I'm writing about now, which is the Marquis de Sade and yep. the way that his fiction sort of supports this idea of extreme individuality and Mm -hmm. no morals and no institutions and just vice. And I think a lot of the time Saad gets confused as a person whose personal views and his philosophy and his life was a direct mirror to his fiction, which it absolutely was not. Sure. And so I think he's portraying a lot of these things in a negative way. Like he's saying that these extremes are necessary because there's the opposite extreme, which is, you know, things like religiously condoned violence or when he was writing 120 days in Sodom, all he had to do was look out his cell to see thousands of people guillotined. And so it's that sort of opposite extreme that I think appears in fascination, especially in terms of the whole like cruelty aspect, because unlike Jess Franco, who explores that theme of cruelty a lot more, Roland really didn't like a lot of his films tend to have this more romantic view of things. Well, yeah, I would say Lips of Blood is like. A, so romantic. It's like a touching yeah. fairy tale that it just really happens is. to like. It is. Are they vampires? Like, I guess they're oh, vampires, but it's like. I mean, reunited with my yeah. childhood but love, yeah, and now we're gonna climb that. into this coffin together and drift <laughs> off into the sunset. I really thought that part was kind of beautiful. Like, it's I was so beautiful. I wasn't going into that movie expecting that. I was expecting right. something like more dark or more cynical, and it's. But not that's that what at all. I mean. It's like even movies where people like he has a much later movie called Two Orphan Vampires where. It's these two girls, and nobody realizes that they're vampires, and they kind of can't control their impulses anymore, and they're eventually discovered and hunted down, and they die sort of with their arms around each other, like in this swamp. So it's tragic, but it does have this sort of romantic notion of, like, at least they got to be together. Sure. Which fascination just... Does not. Does not, and neither... I'm guessing it just must be something that was going on in his life at the time because so fascination is 79 and the year before 78 grapes of death has a very similarly nihilistic ending where the main character searches the French countryside, which is sort of beset by these like zombie creatures who were infected by a a pesticide that was put on to wine grapes that sort of transforms them. And so the whole movie is basically her trying to find her boyfriend or her fiance or whatever he is. 
And it's just like this desperate quest, like where you get the sense that if they find each other, it will just be okay. And she finds him and doesn't realize, spoiler alert, doesn't realize that he's kind of started to turn because she's just so overwhelmed with her feelings. Somebody else shoots him in the head and it's like, oh, <laughs> so those two films, I think, really are kind of cruel. It's it's it well, and I will say that. Um, oh, and maybe Night of the Hunted, too. But I think what's interesting about Fascination, yes, it's sort of dark. There's a almost sort of. there's almost well in the sense of that. <laughs> okay, it's actually really dark. But what I mean is, <laughs> yes, there's this turn because okay, so there's this moment where, as I said before, it seems like maybe we're getting that sappy ending, like I'm gonna help you escape, whatever, and then we're she gonna turns run on off him. into the countryside together in but, love. But again, doesn't it seem like her cruelty or her darkness is not a is not? I I I, I still think it's related to human freedom. So as much as like that, maybe not, maybe, maybe is not how I think of human freedom. I kind of get it. Like it resonated with me, even yeah. as some part of me was kind of like, Ooh man, really? But then I was kind of like, yeah, but it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I felt a little conflicted, uh, philosophically about it. And I think that's good. Like I want that sort of conflict where I'm thinking like, wow, like mm-hmm. that because it is, but I do wonder, and I, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, there's a there is as you mentioned a class aspect to it like definitely I th- in some ways is it meant to be a criticism then of the of that sort of rich like you know we are so privileged that, that we've literally taken to drinking human blood because that's like the level we're at is that or is that not even a consideration I don't know he has a very strong vein of class criticism throughout his film so. Sure. His second film, The Nude Vampire, which Kat also wrote about, uh, it deals with the the main plot is basically there's this like industrialist businessman named Radamante who is obsessed with discovering the secret to eternal life. Sure. And he finds out I don't think the film ever tells you how. He finds out that this sort of innocent young girl who never talks. And when I say young, she's probably like 18, 19, uh, is a vampire. And so he hires these scientists to experiment on her. And really they're just testing her blood to sort of see what the secret is. And he dupes all these other rich people into the scheme by telling them that they're all part of this blood cult and they're all going to be made immortal together. And, Every time she needs to be fed, there's this whole thing about, you know, now it's your turn to be the sacrificial victim. And if she feeds on you, you'll live forever, which is a fucking sham. And it's basically this rich people suicide cult while he's just biding his time trying to find the answer. Meanwhile, his son, who's, you know, like a 20 something kind of hippie ish dude, sees her at this party that he's not supposed to be at. And and it's a typical kind of like eyes wide shut sort of everyone's wearing these crazy yeah. masks. It's yeah. so beautiful. That's how rich people do it. That's how they do it. They wander right. around castles and wear animal masks and no clothes. Man, the rich. And, I know. Um, I just want to pay my student loans. <laughs> I know, right? But, but 
So it's basically all about this conflict between father and son. And the clear villain in the film is the father who eventually comes up against this entire army of vampires who are basically described in the dialogue as mutants. It's like they're the next stage of human evolution. And they aren't aggressively violent and they're really only violent when they have to be defensive. And so they come to rescue this girl and the young man who loves her, but it's like rich people bad is Mm. basically the whole movie. (laughs) Is it weird that that makes me think of that? This is a weird tangent, but I'll just say it. It makes me think of that movie thirst, not the Korean film, but the Korean film's awesome. I do like the Korean film, too. It is too. good. But the other one, the Australian Thirst, have you ever seen that? I've never seen that, actually. I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. Have you ever seen that no. film? I would highly recommend it to both of you. It's so we- Because, again, it is related to this idea. There's like a giant kind of cult slash uh, community built around the idea that there are vampires. And so they find people who are part of the vampire line, and they sort of bring them into the community and these people don't think that they're vampires and the film is very ambiguous about whether they are vampires or not right wow and i and i and i like that but it is very much related to class because they are yeah they are very much um uh they very much see themselves as elitist like we are the chosen we're sort of descended from this line and and everyone else there are cattle and Mm -hmm. it, it almost feels like it almost doesn't matter if they're actually vampires. It's like society. So much like society. Yeah. A fucking society underrated movie. I love yeah. society. I love it's so fucking good. And it's like, again, because there's a face butt, people people act like <laughs> society like, movie, is yeah. just a joke. And I'm it's like... It's so good, though. It's, yeah. it, but it's that same... Can I say, though, I wanted to... This is something I'm just going to say because you are someone who gets when people have these weird things. I want. I have... I am tempted to write something about a lot of these class related eighties films. So uh-huh. yeah. society, they live. Oh, for sure. Uh, some other ones, but a lot of these movies, I had a whole list of them actually in my head. I think but, even, uh, uh, shivers, the Cronenberg movie yes. has a huge class element, but I, I wanted to write about some of the ones that are a little bit bigger, like more well-known mm. because, um, interestingly, uh, all of them ignore race. Yeah. Like completely, sure. it never comes up. Like it's always like there's these rich people and they're keeping us down. Yeah. And it's as, especially explicit in They Live when it's like the white guy is like the world's against us, and the black guy's like, no nah, man, we just got to get along to keep along and all this stuff. <laughs> and 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 in my head, I and then of course my thing about it is like, well. That's weird since in the 80s, the government had literally declared war on certain black communities. I mean, (laughs) it's like a lot of these films are made in L.A. where the police were literally like, let's just kill as many black people as we can. Fuck. I mean, you're not wrong. You know what I mean? You're not wrong. And so I think that's I think it'd be interesting to say uh, to write something that's like, look how successful these movies are. But look how limited they are because they can never name the worst victim of this class war. Like all these movies are willing to go. There is a class war. It's happening right now. And here I'm going to dramatize that for you in a way that will make it easy for you to accept. Like They Live is taking the alien context in a way I think very explicit for John Carpenter to say like Reagan hates you Mm -hmm. and this whole country is out to get you. But again, another movie – and I don't mean that to criticize it. They Live is still one of my favorite movies of all time. But 
I just think it's interesting as I was thinking about these movies, I was like, man, none of these movies, race don't ever come up. You know what you should bring in, though? And I know it's a couple of years earlier, but you should talk about Ganya and Hess and yeah. how they're, that movie. <laughs> the, the class themes in that movie are so brilliantly Thank used. Thank you for pronouncing it for me. I've always just said Ganya and Hess, and I know <laughs> that that's wrong. You know what? I don't actually know. I've always said Ganya because... I have no idea. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I've always Sam said, on this one just because I've always said Ganja, than the book but I have was, no so. idea. Yeah, <laughs> Ganja's fine. I I felt like I guess the first time I came across it, and if you've never seen it, you fucking turn this off and go yeah, watch it. It's 100%. the best thing ever. But and and another vampire movie. But I guess I assumed that it wouldn't be so over the top as to have her name be Ganja. <laughs> no, oh, I, I know. Another one that you would have to include is uh what the hell is it called the that amicus werewolf movie which one what is the amicus one it's not bad moon Um, no no it's so it basically the plot is these people are trapped in a house and one of them is a werewolf and they kind of all the beast must die oh, it's from yeah. 1974 oh, yeah, 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 but it yeah, deals yeah, yeah. both explicitly with class and race mm, because that's the, really interesting the guy who owns the mansion is this black guy who sure. has these sort of contentious relationships with these like i think there are one or two upper class white guys and there's some like sort of typical well-educated doctor type and so those two movies i think deal with it in a really interesting way i might actually have to write this thing yeah i think you probably should you just tap the vein it doesn't get written about enough well and 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 again it came from an appreciation and i was thinking about how did these fucking movies get made yeah because there's a whole series especially in the later 80s a whole series of movies that use genre as a way to talk about class Mm -hmm. in ways that are not fucking subtle yeah. Like, they're not yeah. like, oh, I don't know what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, yet, it's over the head. And then as I was thinking about them, I thought, ooh, it is weird, though, that they that, that never really comes up. Okay, I don't want to derail our conversation. Let's get back to our John. Derailed. <laughs> John, John. John who deals with race in unexpected and interesting ways. I'm like, sure. Rape of the Vampire, there's a vampire queen character who's this beautiful black woman whose name I can't remember, but... It's just so jarring to see all of these like sort of stereotypical white movie or white people like horror movie white people characters. Right. And she just appears and is in charge of all of them. Right. In a way where it's very clearly meant to play. Like I was saying earlier, he really borrowed a lot from the crime and fantasy serials of the 10s and 20s and 30s where exoticism is a major component. And so there is an element of that, but it's just interesting to see how, and it's not that like the characters are definitely problematic, but it's interesting to see that he felt a need to include them when the majority of other horror directors weren't sure. And in a, in an interesting way where it's not always like he has a couple black women characters throughout his movies and he's got a couple Asian women characters, but I think they sort of go beyond this idea of the way you would see them in maybe like an American exploitation film where it's just 
for a sort of fantasy erotic purpose. Sure. It's he kind of turns it on its head and makes them intentionally like we were talking about earlier, intentionally unerotic. Right. In a way that I think is so interesting. It I mean I think his use of sex and nudity in the movies overall is interesting or at least the ones I've managed to see because again I mean in Lips of Blood there are a couple moments that are sexy right definitely but there are also plenty of moments where it's like that's not what's going on there yeah. and I don't think it's again it, it just doesn't feel ex- and, and I don't say this as a dismissive of these movies but it doesn't feel like exploitation, exploitation to me movie. and I, I, again nothing against exploitation like you you want to you know, get me to look at something like that. I'm okay with that, but I, I think that um, I think that his films that's not really the point. And and Agreed. I and, yeah. and and I he's I, not just Franco. Yeah, exactly. And and so um, anyways, I want to respect our time because uh, I have work tomorrow. But oh, um, yeah. but uh, but I I kind of want to say if my guess is that there are plenty of people listening to this who are listening to this because they already are familiar yeah. or they want to be. But for people who really don't know anything, how do they, how, how, what would you tell them to prepare them? And where would you recommend people start? Uh, if they, if this is, if they want to know more about Jean Roland, Roland, well, Roland, Roland, John, John Roland, <laughs> I want to know about that John Rowland. <laughs> I will say I've never seen any Jean Rowland movies until this episode. Sure. And so this, I felt that fascination was an amazing entry point for it. Just because, yeah. and, and as far as my expectation goes, I mean, I read the book before, I read your chapter and I read like some of the other stuff, some of the essays before watching them. So that definitely was a good primer. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like I have to say some sort of like line about how you should buy the book and read it. Which... The book rules. Thank so, you. There's no. There should be no shame in this. You should. There's a little shame, but, <laughs> but I, I said it no, anyway. No, I definitely read the chapter about fascination before I watched fascination. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. Some of the chapters I read, I thought this might be better if I saw the movie or whatever. But reading it as a companion, I think is really awesome. And yeah. again, you know, we're not making any money having you on here, so it's not like I'm gonna get a cut of this thing. <laughs> I just really think it's it's really interesting and really helpful, and it made me think about the movie movies I was watching in a specific way. You yeah. Know? I also think like, I don't know. I, I think that I am now a fan. Yay. Which that's is like you my know, end goal. It's, it's a good thing. I, I certainly I, at least want to watch more things. Yeah. And apparently I need to rewatch zombie Lake, which is like, <laughs> Jesus really. Okay. So I wrote my favorite thing that I did for the book is I wrote this chapter about his hardcore films and his work for higher projects because I felt like they didn't get any love at all. And the way that people talk about seventies hardcore movies is always very frustrating for me because a lot of them have plots and real cinematographers and like a lot of love went into these movies. I mean, somebody like Radley Metzger has gotten more attention or maybe more respect in recent decades. But so I write about zombie Lake, even though it's, it's not a hardcore film at all. I don't want to give anyone that impression, but I write about zombie Lake in that chapter. And it's not one of those movies where I would ever tell someone to start with, with it because sure. it's fucking ridiculous. It involves this platoon of Nazis who were killed 
uh, during World War II when they were occupying this French village and then some fucking shit happens and they come back, they come up out of the lake and this was supposed to be a Jess Franco film and right before production was supposed to start, he bailed. And so Roland was just kind of forced to take over, which sure. he never minded doing. And I know a lot of people sort of look down their noses at directors who kind of take on these projects rather than, you know, being an auteur who does all the casting themselves and writes the script themselves. And I think that's fucking bullshit. I think you can get interesting projects both ways. Like there's no one right way to be a director. But so Zombie Lake, there's so much love in it, but it's so ridiculous. I mean, one of the zombies, before he was, when he was still alive, he fell in love with this French woman and they were going to run off together because, of course, it's a Roland film. So you have to have a tragic romance. And she got pregnant and had a daughter. And so when he comes back to life as a zombie, he has this telepathic connection with his nine-year-old daughter. That's awesome. And, oh, my Whoa. God. it's That's heavy. But it also looks like it cost about $12 to make. <laughs> sure. And everything is very green for some reason. I think that's partly at the time when I first tried to watch it what turned me off, you know? That it's all green tint? No, the just the general, like, it's very cheaply made yeah. and I, and whatever and I think um, but I think now I would kind of appreciate that you know a little bit yeah. but... it's so much fun sure like if you go into it thinking I'm gonna see you know this undiscovered night of the living dead like get that thought out of your head <laughs> it's I also like really bad European zombie movies like I know I mentioned it earlier in the episode for no particular reason but Dr. Butcher MD is one of my favorite movies do you like that better than than doesn't it what's the other version is uh zombie holocaust or yes um I feel like I like zombie holocaust more than Dr. Butcher MD I love them both okay <laughs> I mean, I don't love what about Nightmare of them. City. Are you a Nightmare City fan? I love Nightmare City, but See, I also a... love Umberto Lenzi. So, well, and that's what I'm saying. That's different for me. That's di- like I think um, I think Nightmare City is a different. I enjoy that a lot. More well, also, it's not really fair because I feel like plus it has Hugo Stieglitz. In it. Hugo Stieglitz. So that's a whole Hugo other. Yeah. Is Once the you best add Hugo Stieglitz, yeah. I'm at a whole other level. Yeah, how can you? I love Tintorera. Tintorera. <laughs> I mean, I confuse I, it with Toretto, and, the and character. I, and I love Diesel. And I love Night of a Thousand Cats. I also cats, love Toretto. So. <laughs> and oh. I also love Night of a Thousand Cats. <laughs> Let's not get into Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Can we just go one episode without talking about Fast and the Furious? <laughs> no, cannot. Fucking anyway. Fast and the Furious. Okay, the next time a Fast and the Furious movie comes out, you should have me back to talk about how much oh, I love nice. the series. <laughs> we should do... We should. Yeah, we should do another yeah, Fast and Furious. because it's so good. And we didn't do number eight on the last one. Because it's anyway, so good. I'm getting no, but Fast number and eight wasn't tattoo. that good. I didn't like it. I liked it. I mean, not that particular one, but the series They're doing as a, a spinoff, though, with Hobbs and uh, Jason Statham's character. I know. I can't oh wait. God, so <laughs> okay, so if people... <laughs> let's tangent. Let, let's just get back to the, what. where should people start? Name a movie for people to start so with. So I think people should start with, I usually say, Fascination or Shiver of the Vampires. If you want something that's like a more 
straightforward is not the right word. A more typical example of his early vampire movies. Sure. Where it's, you know, set in a castle and everybody's wearing sheer nightgowns and Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There are I think more boobs in Shiver of the Vampires than in Fascination. And if you want something that's gorier and more somber, Living Dead Girl. Right. Yeah, I feel like Living Dead Girl was a good in in some ways, but I, but it I do. It looks different. It looks very eighties. I was going to say it. It doesn't feel the same as some of his other movies. Yeah. But I also, not that I like that more, but there were aspects of it I like. Like I feel like some of the darkness to it and the way it ended, like I really appreciated the and the gore, yeah. considering. Not all of his movies are gory. Yeah. The gore is pretty well done in Living Dead Girl. Like I thought it was gross. It's, and, and, and It's really gross you know? in certain parts. I just found the American dude so fucking annoying. That's the only downer <laughs> to that movie. And I'm sure that that's on purpose. But just as someone watching the movie, I'm like, God, fuck this and guy. And the, the worst <laughs> is that he speaks in English. So if you're watching the movie, and so, you know, these French characters are speaking in French, and you're reading the subtitles... It's like you can't get away from him. You can't even not look at the subtitles when he talks because I think there is a version where he's dubbed in French, but I'm pretty sure there's also a version where he's just speaking English. So it's like more the version, offensive the version to me on for Shutter, some reason. The version on Shudder, he's in English. Oh, God. And, and, I just don't want to be able to hear him. And I'll be honest, like... <laughs> there should be a al- version where he's just muted. <laughs> there's also this thing where like uh, sometimes English dialogue written by folks who is nonsense yeah it's not that he's not quite at nonsense but the what he says you're like he wouldn't say it that way right. so he's annoying and his and cadence is kind of off like it's just yeah. not quite how he it's would talk. like uh he has the same type of dialogue as uh david warbeck's character in the beyond yes where uh, it's not that he's totally not making sense but, but he's like the grammar is yeah. not the way it's it's not like totally incorrect he just his dialogue is like it's very like stagey. Yeah, sure. That like somebody was... wrote it in their original language and, and had it translated. It. Yeah. yeah, by a non-native speaker. All right, let's wrap this up. Okay. Yeah, sorry, right, so this went on really to, long. There's a lot <laughs> no, to pack here. I, no, we had you. Let's just realize something. We had someone on not just to talk about something they like, but something they know, know a lot about intimately. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of you know an expert. I hate to say it, but it's true. I'm so, fine with that. <laughs> so that's good that it went long. Like I think yeah. that's great. I just have to live into the reality that, you have that I have home. work in the morning and yeah. have a 9 o'clock meeting. So I'm trying to be on top of stuff. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up, is there anything that anybody wants to plug? Um, there's a book. <laughs> well, okay. Sure, 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 sure. That's the, the most moment of so, shocked silence. First, first of all, go uh, get the book. Yeah, please. Lost Girls, the Phantasmagorical? Yes. Phantasmagorical cinema. cinema of Jean Raoul. <laughs> Again, that's a special Philly version, so uh, which you can find through Spectacular Optical's website. Yep. Nice. Uh, but are there other things that we should plug? Uh, Remember, you can plug other people's things, too. That's sort of the point of this. Right. Yeah. Horror business. Oh, sure, if you want. Yeah, my new record. Yeah. Well, when? Uh, how can people? It'll be because this will be out in a little bit. So. Yeah, it'll be available on uh, this coming Friday in two days on Bandcamp. Josh Alvarez. Cool. Dot Bandcamp. Dot com. Josh Alvarez. Dot Bandcamp. Dot com. Yeah. Let me also plug uh, uh, one of our other fellow shows on the um, network. Uh, Brendan Foley's Black Sun Dispatches. Black Sun Dispatches. 
Um, he it's a series of short stories all set within the same kind of world that he's created. Uh, I really like it. I think that you will like it too. Um, it's hard because you kind of should start at the beginning so you get a feeling of what the place is like. Yeah. But technically, each of the stories, though they connect, they're kind of self-contained. So yeah. like you you will get more out of it if you've listened to the other stories, but you could actually jump on anywhere and, yeah. and you should be fine. It's a pretty awesome show. Uh, and then I also, we recently added uh, editor Joe Yannick. He has a podcast called Small Screen Cinema. Yay. And uh, he's really great. And I really like Small Screen Cinema. So I think... They haven't put out a new episode in a little bit, but the last one they did was on the um, miniseries version of it, and it's a really good conversation, so awesome. check it out. All right, and thanks again, Sam. Thank you. Is there anything awesome. else you want to plug while you're on here? Maybe, yes. <laughs> Actually, you know what? There are things for me to plug. Um, Do it. So, like I mentioned, my book on Fritz Long's M should be out next year. I'm doing some programming for the next Cinadelphia Film Festival. So if you are in Philly, that will be in April. So keep your eyes peeled for scheduling announcements. Um, I did, along with Kat, who we've been talking about because she contributed to the Roland book, she and I did a commentary track for the Hammer film The Gorgon, which is part of Indicator's new Blu-ray box set that includes some sort of hard-to-find and lesser-seen Hammer films. Sure. I did an essay for uh, Vinegar Syndrome's release of Liquid Sky, which just came out. I need it. Oh, it's I can't wait for it. to. It hasn't gotten to my house yet, but like... I need it. it Rob apparently has it. I just want to steal it from him. <laughs> I want it, and I also want um, Ice Cream Man. <laughs> I want Ice Cream Man, too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what else? Oh, so, uh, this British company called second run just put out these two Czech films, witch hammer and the cremator on blu-ray. I love the cremator. They're both amazing. So uh, I did an essay for witch hammer and then for the cremator, I, they, they included sort of a special feature, uh, me and this guy, Mike white, who does a podcast called the projection booth. Best dude. Talking about the cremator for a really long time. <laughs> he was a guest on Eric Roberts' The Fucking Man, and it's a really good episode. He's awesome. the best. I'll have to listen to it. I love it. And he'll him. have to have me on his podcast sometime. What's up, Mike White, you jack off? <laughs> Just kidding. He's great. He is the He's best. He's the nicest dude. And he has like actual like critics who know things on his show, so I shouldn't really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't really, really talk shit. shouldn't really uh, poke <laughs> the bear, as they say. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he's in China right now. Well, he works. So you can poke the also, bear and he, he won't be able to reach you. He, for also, some time. he also works ridiculously hard. Like that podcast he is does. not easy to produce and he does a mm-hmm. lot of stuff for it. So if you've never checked it out, the projection booth, check it out. Awesome. And you're on there sometimes. You've I'm on, on there, there a few times. Over the summer, I was on like 9 million episodes. It wow. felt like I feel like people were getting sick of me. <laughs> I, I only listened to two of them, but I wasn't sick. I was like, oh, there's Sam. She's great. <laughs> uh, okay. I think that's everything for now. Uh, thank you for listening. Remember, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we should also thank our sponsors, who we always forget to thank. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Yep. Um, without them, we wouldn't have shirts. So uh, <laughs> if you like shirts, you should get them printed at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Good the Lehigh Valley's premier screen printing. XLVACX.com. 
Uh, and I guess that's everything we have to say, right? Yep, that's it. All right, thanks for listening. And smoke jaw. Smoke jaw. <laughs> <laughs>